You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Jake Clausen. I have been coming to GCC. This is almost, I think it's six years back, back in the lane five days. So uh, if you weren't part of the church, then we used to meet in a CrossFit gym. So that was always, that was always fun with one guitar playing. So it's cool to like see God's faithfulness uh, and just continually, continually growing our church. Um, yeah, so I serve as one of the elders uh, at GCC. I've been uh, in this role for, I think, two years now, um, and it's a privilege to get to come alongside and serve uh, and care for our church family. Um, and then my wife and I are also on staff with Crew, which is a, a college missions organization. So if you have a college student or know someone in college uh, and want to get them connected, come talk to me. Um, but my role now is a little bit more international sending. So I, I'm part of partnering with uh, countries all over Europe and sending students on mission trips, whether for summer, year-long things. So I'm, I'm excited about the gospel. I love seeing people come to know Jesus and hear about him for the first time. Um, and so as we're starting the basics class, uh, myself and two others are, are leading that. Um, and I get really passionate about introducing people to the gospel and explaining the basics. Cause that's a big part of my story is I grew up outside the church. I had no clue what, who Jesus was, anything that was going on. And I needed people to help show me kind of like from step one, ground zero, what this Bible, what the gospel is all about. So I'm really excited about that. If you have questions about the class or, or, you know, anything like that, come talk to me. I'd love to give you some more information um, and all that. So um, I hope you all had a good Christmas. I missed you on Christmas Eve, so I'm sure it was beautiful in here and a good time. My wife and I were up in Seattle uh, with her family, so they live up in the Seattle area, so it was pretty wet, and we did a lot of jumping on the trampoline uh, while it was soaking wet uh, and taking care of uh, a newborn. So Christmas was just different this year, <laughs> this year with a, like a month-and-a-half-year-old son. So uh, anyway, I hope your uh, Christmas went well. Um, I've heard about some of yours. And uh, it's interesting as we kind of like head into the like post-Christmas, it can actually kind of feel like a huge letdown. Um, and I think it's this way because there's so much anticipation, right? So much getting ready, leading up, especially for those of you who set up your tree like the very first day of November. You know who you are. And then once it's over, it feels like, oh man, I got to wait like a whole nother year for this to happen again. And we can find that the joy, uh, I think that we, we once had celebrating Christmas is over like that, that joyful, good feeling is, is starting to fade away. Um, and it's gone. And it's almost like we're like on a high of like dopamine or something like that. And then it just like comes crashing down. I don't know about you, but like Christmas day, it like rounds the corner to like 2 PM, 3 PM. And you're like, oh man, like, it's almost over. And, and you start to feel that feeling. I know people uh, would agree with me who are laughing and smiling. Um, and the question is, like, why, why is that? Like, why does that happen? We've just celebrated Jesus coming. We've opened our presents. Uh, maybe we've had dinner, meals together, all the family, all of these things. 
Um, and yet our joy can be so fleeting and then it's gone. And then we become lost uh, in our day-to-day life that we go back into. And so the message today um, is kind of like an epilogue to the Christmas season. It's like the bookend of the Christmas season. It's a standalone. We'll be continuing back in our series in Romans uh, next week. But I just want to take some time and close the book um, on the Christmas season. And I think today's message is an important one. We're going to look at the lives of two somewhat hidden characters in the Bible and look at their response to Jesus coming and what that says about our own kind of post-Christmas blues, so to speak. Um, so if you would, just pray with me and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, first and foremost, I thank you uh, yeah, for the things that we celebrated. Thanks for family, good food, um, enjoyment of one another, gifts, even getting to give them to people and receive. Uh, Lord, again, we know that Christmas can bring all kinds of different emotions and feelings, so we, we lift those up to you. Lord, you know, uh, you're all knowing, so you know exactly where each person is coming in uh, this morning, whether that's excited, whether that's discouraged, uh, feeling empty. And some of us are just looking uh, kind of forward to 2024, like give us a new year, you know, let's, let's start over kind of thing. And so I'm grateful that you know our hearts and exactly where we're at. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that it wouldn't be like my words coming, it would be yours. That you would just use me as a mouthpiece. Uh, Father, if there's anything I say that's not of you, would it go in one ear, not the other? Uh, but I pray if there's something you uh, want to um, soak into our hearts, would it be like a rock in our shoe we can't forget about throughout the week? And you're faithful to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So the passage we're going to read is Luke 2. Uh, 22 through 38. So you can start flipping there either in your phone, uh, in your Bibles. Uh, We also have Bibles at the back. So if you don't have one or need to use one for the morning, just pretend like you're going to the bathroom and like grab one on your way back. Um, And so again, Luke 2, uh, 22 through 38. Um, So Jesus has been born and we're picking up here. And and I just want to set up some quick context that'll help um, where we're going this morning. It's important to remember that before John the Baptist and Jesus's birth, God has been silent for 400 years. He's been silent for 400 years, which means God's people haven't seen a prophet raised up to speak on God's behalf in like four generations. That's a long time to not hear from God, to experience radio silence. Um, I got a question and I do want you to raise your hand, even though you're embarrassed because I'm about to tell a really embarrassing story. Raise your hand if you experience like, like a rough high school breakup. Nice. And it shows the people who raise their hands. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, and it checks out. I experienced a rough high school breakup. So I was like all about this girl. But the problem is, is I also just like was kind of like, I don't know how to say it nicely. Like just not a great boyfriend and just not an awesome person. I was just very uh, influenced by what people thought. So it, it, changed the way I acted and, and all this. So my girlfriend started to catch on and she's like, yeah, I think, I think I'm better elsewhere. Looking back, you know, I'm like, it, may, it, it makes sense. But at the time I was like, that's the worst thing you could ever hear. I remember her calling and being like, yeah, I, I, I think I'm happier without you in my life. And I'm like, what? Uh, again, as, as you reflect and look back, you're like, yeah, she was pretty, pretty wise to make that. But at the time I was like crushed, right? So here's what happened. I'm, I'm trying to text and I'm trying to call, right? And I'm like, hey, let me explain. Let's work this out, all of this. Radio silence, right? 
She does not respond. She does not get back to me. So here's what I do. Okay. This will probably change how you guys think of me. And that's okay. I rest in my identity uh, as a son of God. I grab my mom's phone and I pretend to text her as my mom during the county fair. And I'm like, hey, I just want to talk about what happened between uh, my son and you. And sure enough, she responds to my mom. Like, who doesn't respond to somebody's mom? And she like walks up and I'm there with my mom's phone. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. It's a pretty embarrassing story. I've never felt so like, I don't know, ashamed or something. But my point is not hearing from somebody is really difficult, right? Like not hearing from someone, not getting a response back. Those kinds of things are hard to deal with, right? They're hard for us to deal with. So you can imagine, you know, that's like a girlfriend's story or someone, but like imagine God, right? People who are really close with God and not hearing from him for 400 years, not just for a few hours, right? They could be worried. You know, you imagine God's people being worried, impatient, like, come on, like, where's the next prophet? Like, when are we going to hear from you? When are you going to deliver on your promises? There might be some like anxiousness, like when, when is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? Anticipation, right? We're ready. We're waiting for you to hear. We want to hear from you. It's like sitting by your phone, right? Waiting for that call like to come through. Uh, I remember being on a retreat with some students and my wife was like very close to giving birth to our second daughter. And I just was like sitting by my phone, like just in case she called uh, to let me know that uh, our baby was being born. That kind of thing where you're just like waiting in anticipation. And I think that's how God's people are feeling as we pick up the story from today. So let's read. Uh, I'm going to start with Luke 2, 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see Jesus's parents are bringing their firstborn son, Jesus, to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, right? As to obey the law of Moses. Jesus is about 40 days old at this point, which is interesting because my son Truett is 56 days old. So it's like, I'm trying to imagine Jesus being the age my son is, and it just kind of blows my mind. Uh, And so we learn from this passage that Jesus comes from a poor family because one normally brought a lamb as a sacrifice, but it says if you can't afford it, you can bring two turtle doves. So we see even from the very beginning, a couple things about Jesus's life. He comes from a modest family and this event also occurs before the wise men bring gifts. Otherwise they probably would have been able to afford the lamb. And I think that this is significant because we see even in Jesus's infancy, infancy that he is obedient to the law. He's not outside the law when he's 40 days old. He is still following and obedient to the law. And I think he, on the other hand, also can identify with people in lowly standards financially and socially. He can relate to people who have come from that position because that's where he came from. He can identify with the weak, the marginalized, and the poor. And that's what we see in his ministry all throughout it. And it's cool, I don't know, just like a little side note as we start to see Jesus and what he was like from day one, even as an infant. And so his parents bump into two people while they were there, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So we're going to continue on uh, in verse 25 through 35. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, The first person they bump into is Simeon. And what we know about him is he's devout and righteous. Okay. The fact that he is named and mentioned Luke has lots of things he could draw from. Right. But he names this person individual, which uh, individually, which means his reputation probably precedes him. Just someone that people recognize as devout and righteous. And I think other clues in the text suggest he's an older man who might be seeing death somewhat in the near future. Okay. And the text says he is waiting. So the key word there is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's that theme again, right? He among many others is awaiting God to speak, to come through in his promise in Isaiah to send a savior to rescue them. That radio silence, he's waiting and waiting. And that word consolation can also be translated to comfort or encourage, which I think is, is cool to think about. Um, And I think, boy, the Israelites need comfort. They need encouragement right now. They are under the oppressive rule of Rome and awaiting for God to do something. He has been told by God that before he dies, he will meet his savior. There's some hope there, right? The text says he's led by the spirit to the temple. We don't know much about the details of this interaction. Like we don't know necessarily time of day, where he was from, why that was significant. But Luke does say he was led by the spirit. And I do think that's an important detail. Among all the gospel writers, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit the most. He wants us to pay attention to the fact that the Holy Spirit is present throughout the entirety of Jesus's life. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is born. um, And it's the same spirit that brings Simeon to the temple. As we see Jesus, when he is baptized, like Luke wants us to see, oh, okay, Holy Spirit is here. He's moving. And we can't, we can't miss that. And the question is why, right? I think the reason is, is God is showing us that he isn't silent anymore. It's through this interaction with Simeon that Luke wants to show us that the time of waiting is over. The savior is here. Now the consolation, the comfort, the encourager, the savior is here and God is faithful to his promise to Simeon. He meets the savior and more importantly, God keeps his promise to rescue his people through the Messiah. And just as all three members of the Trinity are present at his birth and baptism, they're all present here right? God is indeed moving. And that should like spark in our minds, like this is happening. And what I want to focus on is Simeon's response. What does he do? He picks up the baby in his arms, right? And he celebrates, he praises God. He has just met the savior who will reconcile all God's people to himself. Jews and Gentiles, the one who will bring light, which means revelation, like help people understand and glory, right? and honor to the people and restore people of Israel. It is pure admiration 
for who Jesus is and joy that leads him to do this. Overwhelming joy. Uh, it reminds me of the videos. Uh, my wife will probably smile at this. I remember uh, going to Atlanta and going to Coca-Cola World, which is just saying that sentence out loud is funny to me. But we're like in this like little movie theater and they're showing kind of these touching uh, videos. And they're ones where like people who are in the military like come home and they like see their family, right? After such a long time of waiting for them to come back. And it's like joy, right? Like pure joy, picking them up. Sometimes there's tears, like all these things. And I look over at my wife while she's watching this and like a little tears, just like, (laughs) and she's like, they get me every time. Um, But I think that that's just a small picture of probably what this looked like, you know, a small picture of what this looked like. And we don't know exactly like when the Holy Spirit promised him. We don't know if it was days before he showed up to the temple. It could have been years though, right? It could have been years and, and waiting and waiting, but either way, We see that in the waiting, Simeon remains faithful. He's devout and he's righteous. He follows God even as he waits. And that leads to rejoicing as he meets Jesus. As he nears death, there's even a special response to this, I think. Um, As as many of you know who have walked through our story as a family, uh, my mother-in-law got diagnosed with cancer five years ago and she passed away about two years ago now. And I'll never forget she knew that her cancer was terminal and she met our oldest daughter for the first time. And the joy that she felt holding her first grandchild was like, you can't, you can't describe it because she knew she was facing death soon. The birth of a child and and meeting our, our daughter was just more and more special. Right? So we imagine that even as Simeon, who is probably getting older in years, like this was even more special to him. Right? And I think that that's something we want to focus on is it's pure joy that Simeon experiences as he comes face to face with Jesus, even as a baby. The second person we run into um, is a a girl named Anna. And so Luke 2, 36 through 38, uh, it says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin And then uh, as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So in the same scene, uh, we meet Anna, a prophetess who is a widow advancing in her years. Some of the language of different translations, uh, a little funky, but a lot of scholars believe that she's at least 100 years old at this point because they're counting her years as like a widow on top of like when she was a virgin. I know it's kind of confusing, but, um, and so the point is, is that she is aging, right? As she is advanced in the years, as the text said, and she has dedicated her life to serving God. And we aren't sure, but maybe she hears this commotion. Like who knows what Simeon sounded like, right? Like she may hear this and like walked up, like what's going on. Maybe she already knew Simeon who knows. Um, but, The point is, uh, she comes face to face with the child Jesus too, and she too meets him with joy. And this joy leads her to tell everyone who is waiting for the redemption of Israel, which is probably most of the people that are there are like, when is this going to happen? And she starts just telling everybody. And there's the, and, and I think this time it says redemption or the deliverance of God's people deliverance. And she is so excited that God is going to deliver his people. 
but deliver them from what exactly? As Christians, we believe that the world was created perfectly and we are created to live in a perfect relationship with God. But every human has chosen to go their own way and live independently of God and our perfect relationship with him, whether we realize it or not. And this is what the Bible calls sin. It's missing the mark of a perfect relationship with God. And this is what Jesus came to deliver us from. This is what Christmas is all about. The rescuing of our own souls and bring, being brought back into relationship with God. Simeon acknowledges this as he tells Jesus' mother that this baby will cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. In other words, he is going to take those who are weak, probably marginalized, and raise them up and give them honor and glory. And those who think, I'm doing pretty well, I'm actually doing good, he's going to bring them low and say, actually, you're not. And Simeon says this. He says, this is what this child will do. And Simeon tells Mary that a sword will pierce your own soul. What is that about? Why does he say a sword will pierce your own soul? Well, in 33 years, his mother will watch as he is hung up on a cross to die a criminal's death. And even though he is innocent, she will have to watch as he gasps for breath and experience the most painful loss any of us could imagine. Not just the loss of his life, but the loss of a perfect eternal relationship with God. She will hear him cry out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Her soul will be pierced and any mother's would be. Why did Jesus do this? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You see only his death, God himself, who Jesus claimed to be, and that's what we believe as Christians, only God himself could rescue us from the punishment of our sin. No other death would suffice. We would always be continually in debt to God. That same passage goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus endured all of this on the cross so that we could have the perfect gift of eternal life. Freedom in relationship with God forever. I want you to try to grasp the weight of that for a moment. Freedom in relationship with God forever. This is the gospel. And I think that is what produces joy. And that is the joy that Simeon and Anna felt. We tell our girls all throughout Christmas that the reason why we give gifts is because God has given us the perfect gift. His son, do you believe that this morning? Simeon and Anna believed it. And that led them to run to Jesus in pure joy. And we don't want to miss their joy. It's been years, generations of waiting, hoping, praying, and suddenly Jesus is here. And we can kind of miss this. Think of how extraordinary it would have been to realize that 400 years of silence had been broken. And all of those prophecies talking about was finally here. They read about it. They knew that someone was a savior was going to be born and he's, he's here and they get to witness it firsthand and see him face to face. And the main thing I want, uh, point I want to make is their joy, deep joy, is tied to God's faithfulness, to God's faithfulness. He may do on his promise. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he was going to do, and they got to experience it. God is with us, and he is their source of joy. So some questions I want you to process through. Um, Uh, If you're an internal processor, you're like, sweet, I'm going to write these down and think about them all week. Um, Does your joy feel hard to come by? Does your joy feel hard to come by? What does your joy seem to be tied to? What is your joy tied to? 
When your joy feels lacking, how is God's goodness and faithfulness the true answer to restore joy? When your joy feels lacking, how is God's goodness and faithfulness the true answer to restore joy? See, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, it should bring deep comfort and joy. And that is actually one of our values here at GCC. I don't think it made it onto our banner. It got added later. Um, but we, we value joy, deep, pure joy that is rested in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And when our joy is wrapped up in the good news of our wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, it should lead us to live in a certain way. And so there's three kind of applications, steps to take uh, that I want to point out. The first is we are faithful in the waiting. We're faithful in the waiting. We're, we're uh, on a day-to-day level faithful because we know where our hope lies. We can come to church. We can serve. We, we can be here on time. We can show up to our gospel community, sometimes even when we don't feel like it or want to be there. We choose to be faithful because we know what God has done for us, and that is um, what produces our ultimate joy. So. Um, we know God is faithful even in the non-Christmas day-to-day stuff of life. It's not like during December, God is like nearer than he is like the other 11 months of the year, right? And so we know he's faithful to us and therefore we remain faithful, just like Simeon and Anna. Even though it might feel like God is silent, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed like, God, would you please do this? I'm begging you. And it's like, I don't, I feel like I'm hearing anything, right? But does that change the fact that God is faithful? No. It doesn't. His faithfulness might just not look the way I want it to. You know what I mean? We know he promises things in scripture. He says, hey, you will have, for example, everlasting joy. You're like, I don't feel it. Where's it at? You promised this. I, I, I don't know where it is. And I think it's in moments like that, that we trust in God's faithfulness. And we let that produce our joy, even if our circumstances don't call for it. And we know that Jesus promised to return. There's another promise. He is faithful. We trust that he will one day make all things right. And that should produce joy. That's like, yes, I can't wait for that to happen. Right. And we follow Anna and Simeon's example, devout, devout prayer, fasting consistently. It says Anna was there like every day. She was just wanting to be in the presence of God in the, in the day in and day out kind of mundane parts of life. We see God is faithful. The second thing is we rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit can often be uh, forgotten um, in the power of what God does through his Holy Spirit. Um, we see that Simeon's movement is directed by the Spirit. He wouldn't have been there that day, maybe, you know, if it hadn't been the, the Holy Spirit moving and guiding him. So is our movement directed by the Spirit? Are we allowing the Spirit to move and guide us? Paul commands us in his letters not to get drunk on wine, but instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What are we allowing to influence our actions, our words, and those types of things? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the world? Is it what people say about us? Is it our comfort? You can probably think of all kinds of things instead. How do we get led by the Spirit? How do we come um, under his influence? Well, we read scripture. The Holy Spirit never leads out apart from what scripture says. If you're like, is this the Holy Spirit or not? Check with the word of God, because I don't think he's going to lead you apart from where the, uh, God's word says. We practice something uh, that I've learned uh, called spiritual breathing, which means we confess our sins regularly, both to God and to other people. 
and we repent, which means we turn the other direction from our sin and towards God. And that is a day in day out thing. I can't tell you, you know, that's why I call it spiritual breathing is like, I have to breathe in and out every, whatever it is, three seconds. Otherwise I'd die. It's like, I actually need to confess my sin so often and repent and turn back to him. Otherwise I'm just going to be dead spiritually. Right. And I think the other kicker is we can't produce joy on our own. I don't know about you, but you're like, I, I would love to be, I'd love to be joyful where I'm trying so hard. You're like, well, actually you're probably trying in your own strength. And I would love to ask like, how is that going? You know, how is that going for me? It goes terrible when I try to be joyful in my own strength. Right. Uh, we rely on the spirit. The third and final one is we tell other people about him. We tell other people. Animating Jesus led to pure joy in telling others, and that's an overflow overflow of her joy. We tell other people what we're excited and joyful about. Uh, my wife got me my first Lego set. I've always like seen Lego sets, and I'm like, those look pretty fun. You know, there's like part of me that never did them as a kid. I was like, that looks pretty legit. You know, and she got me one, and I was like, yeah. And I finished it. It was like a I don't know, Need for Speed car or something like that. And I was just like, Thea, Emmy, those are my daughters. Like, look, I finished, you know, and I went and showed my wife and she was just like, cool. You know, uh, glad you had fun. (laughs) My joy, you know, was just like, it was overflowing. I wanted to tell people about it. That's what we do. Right. And so I think how, how deeply important it is to tell people about the joy that we have in Jesus, right? People around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, people in our lives, um, And that's what we do. Um, And so as I close, I want to read a quote um, from the Advent book that we read as a family. It's like on Christmases and I read it and uh, sorry, Sarah was reading it. She gets the credit. Um, And I was like, man, that that actually like speaks exactly to what we're talking about today. So as I I read, uh, I'll I'll read it and then I'll pray um, to close this up. It says this. That's how it is when people see Jesus, whether it's Christmas time or not, they go and tell others. They can't help telling everyone the story, the story of how much God loves his people and how far God goes to get his people back. The story of God coming to earth to stay, the story of Christmas. Christmas may be over, but the best part of Christmas lasts forever. Jesus is still with us. His spirit is in you and in me. God is with us. Even when it's hard, even when we feel alone, even when it's not Christmas, God is with us. And he will be forever. For such a long time, God seemed far away. But now he has heard what we hoped and prayed. God has come to earth to stay. Father, um, we thank you for your word. And I think uh, I'm overwhelmed actually with gratitude that you are faithful to your word. Your promises you deliver on. And I think the ultimate promise that we can have eternal relationship with you you met in Jesus. And Lord, let that produce an overwhelming joy in our hearts that we actually like find deep, deep joy in you and you alone. And let that overflow into how we talk to other people. Uh, Lord, help us to use that joy to tell other people about who you are and what you do. And Father, we are so grateful um, for you. And uh, yeah, I just pray even as like we enter into 2024 that this would kind of be like where we're entering into joy with you. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.